0: Welcome to Saints. In this podcast, we'll be discovering and discussing fascinating insights to topics and events found in Saints, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ in the latter days. This new four-volume narrative is a history of the Restoration. You can also read it and all the material we'll be discussing today on LDS.org or on your Gospel Library app. And now, Saints. I'm Ben Godfrey and today I'm joined by two wonderful guests here in our studio. First, a curator with the Historic Sites Division in the Church History Department, Emily Ott. Welcome Emily.
1: Thank you, it's good to be here.
0: And joining us again is our friend Shaylin Back. She's recently had an opportunity to read volume 1 and will share her thoughts and questions. Welcome Shaylin.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for being here both of you. So today our chapter we're talking about chapter 21. Um, This is the building of the Kirtland Temple. Emily, you're involved with historic sites. Can you give us maybe a little bit of the backstory about the Kirtland Temple and the area and just help us with all those great nuggets of knowledge that you know that nobody else knows?
1: Great. The, um, The saints are living in a very rural edge of civilized society place. Kirtland is rough when the saints move in. And when Joseph Smith says, we're going to build a temple, we're going to build a house of the Lord, the saints don't really know what that means. They're used to, if they're from New England, they're used to these, you know, kind of big frame, white, federal revival, Greek revival looking buildings, but there's no thought in their head that they could build anything like that in Ohio. So they start putting together plans. Let's build it out of log. Let's build a little one story frame building. And then Joseph Smith comes to them and says, no, we are building a stone building. It's going to be the biggest building within hundreds of miles. And all of you may think that you're not qualified to do this thing. You don't know how to build buildings like this. But God said, build a house of the Lord. And we're going to build something that will last a very, very long time.
0: And I should tell our listeners, Shaylin (laughs) also has the interesting background that you were a missionary in kirtland
2: yes i was
0: so you're pretty familiar with this story as well yep (laughs) that's awesome so you can you can help us understand so tell us a little bit more about the construction of the temple what do we know how long did it take how much did it cost
1: yeah so it's hard to know really how much a temple cost because everyone gives of themselves members of the church are donating their time their abilities and they are going out and cutting down the trees themselves. They are quarrying the stone themselves. So they're not really buying anything. So I don't really know how much it actually costs to build the Kirtland Temple because...
0: So much donated labor. So, and, yeah. yeah.
1: It, it, how do you put a cost on your consecration? Right. On, how, on your sacrifice? Um, and so they, they build this thing out of, out of stone. And because the stone in the Kirtland area is not like the beautiful stone that you can dress and make look perfect they stuccoed it they covered it with the remnants of things they found in their community the broken china that had been thrown away is salvaged and made into plaster to put on this building and then those carpenters who they know how to work with wood but they don't know anything about building a building of this size they just take the best that they can do
0: i actually had no idea the temple is actually the walls are stone
1: Mm -hmm, they are
0: I thought they were wooden walls that were stuck out.
1: The exterior walls are stone walls.
0: Wow. Seriously, I didn't know that. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, Like the Logan Temple and the Manti Temple and the Nauvoo Temple.
2: And there is a quarry down the street. Yeah. Which is hard for me to imagine after visiting the quarry, and you can still see the markings, them taking the stone to the temple and
1: transporting it with the limited resources that they had. So they're cutting stone out of this quarry. They're putting it in the back of their wagons. And remember, they're poor, so... Their wagons, odds are, are going to break as they try to haul the stone from the quarry up to the temple site. And because they're so worried about violence and the threats against the church, they work on the temple during the day and then stand guard over the site at night. Wow. And they do this for the entire construction process. They they literally, they give everything they have to this building. So when I walk in the temple today, I see those remnants. The building isn't quite level. You notice the steeple tilts just a little bit because while the outside wall is stone the inside wall is wood and structurally it it leans. You can see the saw marks in the floor floorboards. You can see all of those little bits and remnants of the sacrifice of those people.
0: Taking a little diversion from the chapter and we'll come mm-hmm. back to that, but while we have you here and, and you're an expert on architecture and preservation mm-hmm. As members visit the historic sites and we see the Kirtland Temple, it's owned by the Community of Christ Church, and they're very gracious in giving tours there. How much of it is like original and how much of it is like restoration or or what do we see there?
1: Yeah, so the Kirtland Temple has been continuously used since the 1830s, and fortunately, this may sound odd, for the preservation of the building, it's been used by people who didn't have enough money to make it look good. (laughs) <laughs> so they didn't they never went in and restored it they never fixed it so when you walk in that building today they, you know they've added electricity and they've added a few things but really it's almost untouched the plaster on the exterior walls has been replaced they had some water problems in the 60s and their fix caused more problems the outside stucco has been replaced the windows have been repainted a bunch. The top of the steeple has been replaced over time. But it's all those little kind of incremental repairs. So if you walk into the Kirtland Temple today, you really are seeing almost exactly what it would have looked like in 1836 when it's dedicated and when angels are appearing. Wow. The, the changes that are that have been made are so subtle that you have to be a, a nerd like me to know <laughs> what's going on.
0: So the, the benches... Those are all original. Those are
1: original. The box pews on the main level are original. They didn't actually build box pews on the upper um, sanctuary um, until about the early 20th century. Mm. So those are a later addition, but pretty much everything else in the building. So when you sit in that pew, when you stand at that pulpit, when you walk across that floor, you are walking and sitting and standing in the same physical space that the pioneers were in in the 1830s. It's, it's a powerful, powerful place.
0: Incredible. And of yeah. course, there are, there are other sites in historic Kirtland that visitors can see when they go there. There's the Newell K. Whitney store. And what, what else can visitors see there?
2: Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> Newell K. Whitney and Ann's house is still there. There are some buildings that have been rebuilt, like the Sawmill and the ashery, but that it, that just put you in the mindset of, what life was like for them, you know, as they were mm-hmm. giving of their time and talents to build the temple and things like that. Well, and what I was thinking, just as you were talking to about, you know, the people presenting these ideas to build the temple, and they're like, let's build it out of logs. They just have no idea. It made me think of in the Book of Mormon, when Nephi's commanded to build a boat, and his brothers are just like, you cannot build a boat. And he's probably thinking, I have no idea how to do this. But then it's like the Lord the Lord reveals those plans to him. And so I feel like that's how it was with the temple too. It was just something so overwhelming. They had no idea what they were getting into, but it wasn't their ideas. It was the Lord's commandment to do.
1: And Joseph Smith said, I saw a revelation. He saw in vision what this temple was supposed to look like. Right. And the people trust him. And they say, well, Joseph saw it and Joseph's the prophet. And if Nephi can build a ship... We can build a temple, because and, God said to do it.
0: And mm-hmm. my understanding is that in that vision they saw not only the outside but the inside of the temple. You can go to the JosephSmithPapers.org website and you can see the recording of that revelation that told them this is how to build this thing. So it it is really an incredible story just of the construction of this amazing building, mm-hmm. which uh, we know today as the Kirtland Temple. Mm-hmm. Inside the Kirtland Temple, once um, the building was completed, Joseph Smith administered an ordinance, and I thought maybe we could just listen to a passage here from the book and then talk a little bit about what what this was and what the participants experienced.
3: When the men completed the ordinance, the heavens opened and Joseph saw a vision of the future. He beheld the celestial kingdom, its beautiful gate blazing before him like a circle of fire. He saw God the Father and Jesus Christ seated on glorious thrones. The Old Testament prophets, Adam and Abraham, were there as well, along with Joseph's mother and father and his older brother, Alvin. While Joseph marveled at the sight of his brother, he heard the voice of the Lord say, All who have died without a knowledge of this gospel, who would have received it if they had been permitted to tarry, shall be heirs of the celestial kingdom of God.
0: So, what can you tell us about this this washing ordinance that Joseph administered in the temple? Yeah.
1: I think this idea is one of my favorite things about early temples and these early saints is that they Joseph and those with him are doing something so out of the realm of ordinary, right? that in the Old Testament, the washing was done for the priests, those who sacrificed the lambs at the temple. right. And you had to be, very holy
0: to do that. Even the proper lineage. To, yeah, the to, proper,
1: and even it, it, not only the proper lineage, but then the person who has been ordained to do it on that day. And only that person right. can do it. Right. And then Joseph Smith comes along and says, This power, this washing that biblically was only left for the prophets and the big deal is now available to all of us. In Joseph Smith's family, when Alvin died, they are so. Nervous for his salvation because they had been taught that because Alvin wasn't baptized, he was damned.
2: Well, I mean, a lot of religions were teaching yeah. that, so that's that's what huge. probably everybody was yeah. believing. But,
1: at and the time. so when and so when Joseph sees in vision his brother standing next to Abraham, it's a shock. It's a shock. This is this is revolutionary. This is about as big of a deal as you can get. Joseph Smith is saying, no matter where you are in life. If you come to Christ, you can be equal to the prophets. That is a big deal. You can be washed and you can go into the temple just like Moses did.
0: It's, it's huge. It's sound, I mean, it feels radical. You know what I mean? Yeah. It feels like a, a radical departure in many ways from what people would say mm-hmm. is traditional Christianity. Yeah. It's, it's very um, exciting and enlightening. And our our listeners are gonna have to stick with us all the way till we get to Nauvoo when Joseph's gonna have another revelation that helps him understand more how it is that Alvin can be there. And that's that's exciting. That's baptism for the dead. That'll be coming up in a future episode. But for the for the moment, Joseph knows Alvin's there and it's okay.
1: Mm-hmm. And and that also that they're clean. Right? That their family is able to be in the presence of God. And that's really what that those early ordinances in the Kirtland Temple are about, that you can be clean. You're living in the 1830s. You may take a bath once a year. You're just always kind of dirty and smelly. <laughs> so when you go in the temple and you're washed, you are clean physically and spiritually. And I think that's a really big deal for these people as well. They can be in the presence of the Lord.
0: The, the saints are looking forward to something that is referred to as an endowment of power. What exactly does, what does that mean? What What is an endowment of power? And then maybe we can listen to a little clip from the book that explains what they experienced.
2: Well, and maybe my question yeah. too is yes. what what do you think they thought it would be? Because they were given a commandment in the Doctrine and Covenants. And again, I just know this because I was there. <laughs> Otherwise I wouldn't know this. But they were told to go to the Ohio and there they'd be given an endowment of power. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering what they thought it would be. And then, so yeah, I keep
1: telling. I you. don't think they'd have, they had any idea because they're living in a Protestant Christian world where the priests have power, you know, where power is how much money you have. Yeah. Um, and so I think they, they, they don't quite, you know, they, they, maybe they think it'll be a kind of a Pentecostal thing. They'll be able to speak in tongues. They'll be able to, you know, heal the sick or something like that. But I don't think they really had any idea what was what was going to come because what did come, I don't think any of them were really expecting. The endowment of power. That's it's such a big idea. I don't even know if I fully understand right. what that means. I think oftentimes about the the idea of an endowment um, connected to like a university. Right. It's a gift given to further the work and of that of that institution. So I wonder, I kind of think maybe the endowment of power in the church is it's a gift from God that gives you the power and the ability to fulfill his work in a very big kind of broad way.
0: Let's listen to a little clip here from the book that talks about what happened and what the saints experienced um, there in Kirtland.
3: He also petitioned the Lord to endow the saints with power, Let the anointing of thy ministers be sealed upon them with power from on high, he said. Put upon thy servants the testimony of the covenant, that when they go out and proclaim thy word, they may seal up the law and prepare the hearts of thy saints. He asked that the Lord might fill the temple with his glory, like the rushing of wind the ancient apostles had experienced. Outpourings of the Spirit continued until the early morning hours. When the men left the temple, their souls were soaring from the wonders and glories they had just experienced. They felt endowed with power and ready to take the gospel to the world.
0: I think that really ties in very nicely with how you describe that. They received a gift to then go do the Lord's work, and they were ready to go out and be missionaries and take the good word. What else do we know about that? endowment of power.
2: I was just going to ask more about the dedication because this happened before the dedication, right? The vision that Joseph Smith had mm-hmm. of Alvin. So then at, so when they were actually dedicating the temple, can you just tell us, uh, like set the scene? What was that
1: like? Yeah, I think temple dedications today are very sedate compared to what they experienced at the curtain the temple dedication in 1836 you know the people know that joseph smith has had these visions and that those who are coming to the temple participating in these rituals are are being endowed they are going back out with power so they go to the dedication and i think they're they're starting to get an idea that what's happening here is not what we would have expected so they go to the dedication first the dedication is very long um, 19th century mormons like to give very long sermons um, Sidney Rigdon was notorious for speaking four or five or six hours at these kinds of things. So you have that. They've seen hymns like we do at temple dedications today. And Joseph Smith um, reads the dedicatory prayer that's now section 109 of the Doctrine and Covenants. For me, that prayer is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. You talk about the power of God, the ability to go out and do missionary work, and all the things that come from temples. All of that is in that section, and it's so powerful and and so beautiful. They've seen the Spirit of God, which was written for the dedication of the Kirtland Temple. They do a Hosanna shout, um, and people at the dedication report seeing angels. They report hearing heavenly voices shepherding and shouting and almost cheering for the dedication of this building. There are some people who think the building is on fire because of the the spirit and the light that is pouring out of it at this dedication. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to have to have been there to see and participate and feel the heavens opening. You know, angels appear. And how many people were there? About how many do they estimate? I don't remember. Do you no. remember from no. your, well, <laughs> your I remember guide? that it was
2: so packed inside that people were outside looking in the windows. Yeah. And then when they had a break, like after Sydney Rigdon was done speaking. Basically, nobody moved. And so I'm thinking, did they bring in food? Did they bring in water? <laughs> did they need to go to the bathroom? Because when I go to dedica- I, when I've been to a dedication, it's like I can barely make it through an hour. and
1: yeah, They're going to they're, they're sit there snack, for six yeah. hours <laughs> and they're going to be packed in shoulder to shoulder. Fortunately, they did this in April, which in Kirtland, you know, the weather is OK-ish. You can handle that. If it, this had been in July, they would have been melting mm-hmm. into small piles on the floor. But yeah, so I think, you know, they, they just kind of pack in because everybody wants to be there. The prophet is speaking. The Lord's house is being dedicated. You don't want to be across the street. You want to be in the building witnessing this thing. And it's such a big deal that they hold multiple sessions. They do this almost for a full week. So everybody can come in and participate in meetings and be in the building and feel the power of it as the building's being dedicated.
0: It's just incredible. Um, And I I understand there are accounts of people even outside the building having these same kind of manifestations. Just such an incredible moment in the history of the church. So correct me if I'm wrong here, but after the the building is dedicated, or was it at a dedication service when Joseph and Oliver have a vision behind the drawn curtain?
1: I think it's... It's about a week after the dedication, but it's a separate meeting okay. that they're... They, yeah, so they go up to the pulpits. So they're at and the they pulpits, pray.
0: they're having a, a meeting, and then they, they lower this large canvas that separates them from the others that are in the building at the same time.
2: Which, sorry to interrupt, but I don't think people realize that, that when they read about this vision, that there were meetings happening and people were in that room and it was only separated with a canvas, canvas. wall.
0: Yeah, in, in the same way that when Joseph had... Moroni came to his bedroom. He wasn't alone, mm-hmm. and yet he right. s- he saw, yeah. and it didn't disturb the yeah. others. Yeah,
1: we think like revelation only happen? You have to be by yourself and quiet, and it has to be still. Joseph is one that says you can have revelation anywhere, with so, your brother asleep in the bed next to you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the canvas comes down. Joseph and Oliver retire to pray, and they have an amazing vision that opens to them. They seek Jesus Christ. They see Moses, they see Elias and Elijah. Let's play a little clip here from the book of what happened after that experience.
3: The vision closed, leaving Joseph and Oliver to themselves. Sunlight filtered through the arched window behind the pulpit, but the breastwork in front of them no longer shone like gold. The heavenly voices that had shaken them like thunder gave way to the muted stirrings of the saints on the other side of the curtain. Joseph knew the messengers had conveyed important priesthood keys on him. Later, he taught the saints that the priesthood keys restored by Elijah would seal families together eternally, binding in heaven what was bound on earth, linking parents to their children and children to their parents.
1: What I love about that moment is that this opens an entire new chapter in the restoration of the gospel. No longer is it about us in this room right now it is now about everybody it's about the eternity elijah appears and the hearts of the children turn to their fathers it's no longer about me it's about my entire family there's that beautiful account of is it Lydia Knight who's at the dedication and she talks about that she and her husband their hearts will be knit together right. it's taking two separate strands and making them one and that type of idea, that concept wouldn't have been possible if Elijah hadn't come and if this temple hadn't been dedicated. Everything we love and know about eternal families, about the power of God to bind on earth and in heaven comes because of this moment, this powerful, revolutionary, radical moment in church
2: history. What's amazing to me is, so for those members of the church who have been to the temple and received ordinances, or for people who have been to open houses in the temple and seen all the different rooms and have a basic understanding of everything that goes on there. The Kirtland temple was not used that way. It was built for such a different purpose. You know, it was so that Christ could appear and Moses and Elias and Elijah could come and restore these keys. And so it's just interesting that that was, you know, the purpose for the temple to be yeah. built. And it's so different.
1: It's so different. Yeah. So they, they needed to build a house of to, a house of the Lord so those keys could be restored and once the keys are restored then joseph gets the next revelation and then he gets the next little bit of data that sets him up for the next thing that's going to happen at the kirtland temple they don't say all right now here is everything you need to know about temple worship get going (laughs) um ceilings start tomorrow they don't really start doing work for the dead until they get to saint george
0: that that is such a one of the main themes that i've sort of picked up on as as we've done these episodes and as reading the book is this concept of here a little there a little and you know learning as we go it just permeates the entire story Mm -hmm. well as we conclude our episode today um there's one last thing in this chapter it's not dealing with the kirtland temple but uh we conclude with with a record of a patriarchal blessing and at this time there's just one patriarch i think in the Mm -hmm. church and that's joseph smith senior what what can you tell us about receiving a patriarchal blessing at that time and and how is that different than today?
1: I am not the expert on patriarchal <laughs> blessings. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's th- this idea that this family tie that you want a blessing that connects you to Abraham. And Joseph Smith Sr. as, you know, he's jo- he's the prophet's father, so in many ways he is the patriarch. He is the logical person to do this. Um, and if the heavens are opening and God is speaking, have the patriarch speak to you.
0: And again, we can sort of trace the roots of that right back here to, to Kirtland and in the, in the beginnings of, of the history of the church. Well, thank you both for being here today. It's just sort of incredible. As we think about these things, the sealing power, patriarchal blessings, being able to trace those back to these early days of our, of our ancestors, of our forefathers and foremothers um, in Kirtland. Um, Thank you both for for sharing your thoughts and insights, and thanks to all of you for tuning in today. You can always learn more about saints by going to saints.lds.org, where you can explore our latest updates, topics, and videos. You can read or listen to the book in the Gospel Library under the Church History section. And finally, you can download this episode and subscribe at themormonchannel.org. I'm Ben Godfrey, thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us today for Saints. And don't forget to read more of this historical narrative on LDS.org or on your Gospel Library app. Join us again for our next episode where we'll once again discover fascinating insights of church history found in Saints, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ in the Latter Days.